0: I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Reese Martin. Reese is the creator and host of RM Transit, a YouTube channel focused on transit infrastructure and development around the world this youtube channel with over 180,000 subscribers and 27 million views talking about mm-hmm. transit public transit projects networks technologies and plans in a simplified and digestible format as well as you know project dis- construction news vehicle design mm-hmm. service planning etc so different angle this this week we're talking one the technology for public transit for the most part but then also you know not directly in I haven't talked to many people if anyone really in from the angle that he's coming from as a content creator and really educator about these systems and uh, really f- fascinating discussion from my perspective I think one if you're interested at all in transit definitely check out the channel I'll link to it in the show notes here you can he does a tremendous job of explaining various technologies in a as he mentioned here that digestible simplified way um and really, really fun to get his thoughts on, you know, how, especially. So he's in Canada, reviews technologies all over the world, thinking about how, what they have, what other countries have, what other cities I have is different, and some places better than what we have here in North America. So I'll leave it there for now. Please enjoy this conversation with Reese Martin. Today I'm joined by Reese Martin. Reese, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, this will be a different, a unique, unique flavor of some sorts, and I'm uh, really looking forward to this discussion. I think the work that you're doing, um, in part with your YouTube channel, and then also just overall education of around um, transit is is really interesting. I'm looking forward to learning from you there. Um, with that said, would you mind kind of setting the stage? So, what 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 are you doing? What is RM Transit? Um, what 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 are you doing with this YouTube channel and all those types of things? Yeah, so I
1: created my YouTube channel about six, seven years ago now. And basically, the purpose of it is to teach people about public transportation systems around the world, kind of the general public to some extent, but also to just kind of address often there are trends in planning and there are problems that exist. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's hard to... There's a lot of support for public transportation, but say you live in you know North America and you look at a place like New York City. There's so much support for public transportation, and yet it seems nothing can actually get built. Certainly not quickly or for very you know reasonable prices. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of there's a lot of issues like this where it's like we we want to build this stuff. Why can't we? And when we do, why doesn't it work very well? And so I think a lot of the purpose of my channel is to kind of try to address those things and talk about you know, why, why these problems exist and how we can maybe solve them.
0: And has that, has the angle on, like, was that why you started in the first place? And that's kind of still consistent or how, how has that kind of objective and purpose evolved over time as you've learned, I don't know, what you like and where there's, there's interest and all those types of things. Um, I think I really started the channel just because I didn't think there was
1: something that was talking about. Uh, public transportation in the way I was interested in it. And so I just kind of felt like, well, I might as well make that YouTube channel. It seems like something I would want to watch. And I'm sure other people would be interested in it. And it's kind of just evolved from there as I've, you know, as I've covered different topics and they've aroused different interests. I've just kind of uh, gone with the wind and uh, yeah, just developed from there.
0: Yeah. And for, for reference here, and there'll be a link in the show notes here, but it's RM Transit. It's the, the, the YouTube page, which I, I think is, is well worth checking out. And there's a ton of educational videos and um, also yeah, entertaining videos at the same time. Um, so you mentioned a bit of this of kind of why why this is interesting, but like, the, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of interesting topics out there that require some type of education. Like how, how did you get into public transit itself and what why was why was and why is this an area that's interesting for you so i i mean in terms of getting into it it was you know from
1: the usual way i think a lot of people do which is that i enjoyed uh, you know going around my city and other cities when i was traveling and mm-hmm. Uh, generally when you're traveling, you don't have a car uh, with you, unless you're maybe road tripping or something. But when you're traveling internationally or far away from home, you don't have a car by default. And so you often end up getting around on the public transportation systems. And the question that arises is why are some places better than others? And why did they make the decisions they did? And the impressive engineering of it all. And I think that you know, that kind of drove a lot of the of the interest in in covering this in greater detail and then at the same time the fact that i don't think that uh it that public transportation gets very much attention despite the fact that especially you know in, in somewhere like the united states but also in canada and other parts of the world we spend a lot of money and we're doing a lot of projects and so i think it sort of disproportionately doesn't get attention Mm-hmm. And I think that there's there's a big uh, opportunity there to talk more about it and to just try to uh, inform people. Because, yeah, it's also super important for things like, you know, the climate crisis and uh, reducing GHG emissions. And if we don't understand it, how are we going to make this uh, a useful part of those efforts?
0: Yeah, I think two, two things I would say there. One, it's, it's interesting, kind of my... I don't know. I've always, to some extent, been interested in transportation. I live, grew up in the Detroit area, and obviously, automotives everywhere around here. Um, but I didn't really have a passion for, or I guess, care that much until I had a somewhat similar experience. You know, traveling, spending time, different time in a few Europe, European cities and such, and in, in particular, going to Amsterdam the first time, going around on a on a bike with my wife, like. Not that necessarily, I always have a desire to to bike everywhere, but at the same time, like that was the first experience I had where it was like, wow, this is noticeably different than what I've experienced elsewhere, and and certainly what it's in my area or other North American cities. And like, I I like this. There's tons of benefits there. I seem seem to be in like that question then of why why are things different? Why are things better? And like, how how can we learn from this? And like, how how can I make an impact here? Was was one of the things that sent me down this journey of trying to, uh, trying to have some type of positive impact impact in the space, and then just adding to what you you mentioned of like the importance of this public transit and topic. So like, there's there maybe a question, right? Of the, I mean, we were I mentioned before, like my my background's in the vehicle development side for for the most part, propulsion system and electronics and automation that type of stuff. And the podcast is built around safe sustainable effective accessible transportation that's kind of the the tagline and the the objective I, I tend to use for this future mobility podcast and at first i thought that was all about technology development and developing more improved internal combustion engines and electrification and hydrogen solutions and autonomous and connected vehicles and all these rubble taxis and all these types of cool things which i i still think there's something there and though that's an important piece of the puzzle but arguably the more important part of like where we are now, like the the bigger challenge is, okay, how do you actually effectively implement these technologies and other less exciting, less emerging technologies into a transportation ecosystem that actually serves this purpose of moving people around safely and effectively in a way that is also sustainable? So that's, I guess, just a bit of content, anything you would you add or any remarks there?
1: Yeah, I just think that, to some extent, um, North America, but I, I also, I think it's important to kind of distinguish, the US in particular kind of did this great experiment with, you know, like, let's build our cities and our, our nation around automobiles and around trucks and uh, and kind of moving away from the the way countries used to operate, which was heavily based on rail and the uh, and pedestrianization and 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 the like and i think that obviously uh, i i don't think there are no benefits to cars or trucks etc because if that was the case then they wouldn't exist in every other country in the world i think what's what's interesting is that kind of this experiment happened and lots of countries around the world including you know the netherlands and amsterdam built expressways etc etc but Still, all of the the major, you know, developed countries out there around the world have major public transport systems. Virtually all more developed than the United States, and so I think it's kind of just a case of the balance is off. And for most journeys and for most travel and transportation needs, rail and public transport and, and pedestrian and cycling options are best. But then there is there are cases where where car transport and automobility makes sense. And those, those cases, you know, it makes sense to better uh, develop uh, private vehicles so that you they are more energy efficient and less polluting and the like. But we still, I think the challenge in the United States especially is figuring out how the rest of the world is able to uh, do transportation uh, in the context of the U.S. because it's a different country. And so, yeah, a lot of complicated problems.
0: Yeah, and the, the question, too, of how, from an idealistic perspective, would you develop a transportation ecosystem for a given city and application is a different question than, well, you have something here already, and what do you do now? Like, how, how do you evolve this this transportation mm-hmm. ecosystem in a way that makes things better in the future? And can, can you think of any any good examples, of and feel free to pick a, a few here, but of, like, where there's been success whether it's in north america or or otherwise in the world of like making meaningful improvements from something that you know was existing maybe it used to work at some point maybe it never worked but for whatever reason it wasn't serving its purpose and then some actions were taken by the the city planners the government whatever to to make a meaningful positive impact and that actually worked can you think of any examples there yeah i mean i think that most of the
1: great uh cities for public transportation were less great in the past. And I mean, uh, that could start with a place like Amsterdam, where the city was much more car oriented in the past. And it it certainly went through a transition to become more cycling and public transport oriented. And that's kind of a continuous uh, transition. Like, none of these things are binary, of course, every city is kind of, you know, somewhere on some giant spectrum of, of transportation options. And I mean, there are like you could say the same for like a London, for example. Like people often talk about New York and talk about how the subways kind of declined. Um, I mean, it's not. I don't think that's up for debate. The subway has, in many ways, declined. And London was in a similar place in the late 20th century, and they kind of reformed the way that they governed things and the policies they used. And I don't think anyone would argue that New York and London are on the same level public transportation-wise today. And so I think that that's another example. And I, I even think just if you look at Canadian versus American cities, they often kind of get lumped together as you know North America. But there's actually very big differences in the way that Canadians get around their cities and Americans do. And I think that even kind of like on the margin there, you can see how small changes can have really huge impacts. And so I think that there's not necessarily a single case that's that's going to be a useful model. It's more small things that can be implemented at the margin, and that will slowly kind of push things in a better direction.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the. And I, I doubt there's going to be a, a coherent question that emerges emerges from this. But this is this is one of the things I've struggled. So, like I mentioned, I, I have no background in in public transportation or city planning or or whatever. Really, I mean, yeah, I've gotten to speak to a few really interesting people on on the podcast and and otherwise to try to learn and understand what's going on here. But I don't don't really understand the space. And one of the things that I tend to come back to is just how complex it is and how many different players there are and how many different solutions there are in a potential arsenal that can be deployed. And as you mentioned, every situation is unique. You have different starting points. You have different geographies. You have different ways in which cities have been set up and needs for people to move around. And so, then, every solution thus needs to be unique to some extent. How how have you made sense? like? Is is that a topic that still is un or is unsettling to you as, as well? Like, just how am how much ambiguity and uncertainty there is in in this space, or or am I somehow making this more complicated than it needs to be in my own head?
1: Well, well, no, I think that you're definitely right there. That there is uh, it, it's it, it's interesting you know to some extent every city is different and it's 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 true that that the idea that you can kind of paint with broad strokes a solution that's going to work for every city is definitely not the case but at the same time there are some and this is kind of what i try to do with my youtube channel is talk about wow like you can look around the world at different cities and there are some you know common threads that come out that you see in the cities that are successful with transportation and the cities that struggle with transportation. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of, that's kind of where we need to look. It's so while you can't paint uh, a picture for like a whole city, that that's going to be similar to another, you can look and say, Hey, like this, this particular transportation problem, this exists in other places. How could, what are some potential ways we could solve this problem? And so I think that, uh you know cities while they are all unique they tend to be comprised of similar components that tend to exist in other places and so if we look at those we can start to start to break down the transportation problem and the planning problem and, and come up with some ideas and solutions
0: yeah and you've already touched alongside this point but I'd be curious to spend a little bit more time here how so what in your mind are some of the foundational values or the the foundational ideas that tend to work well in, in most situations and like are a good starting point for thinking about what a an effective transit system looks like
1: i think that you know fundamentally the most important element is service so what what i mean yeah if for people that aren't necessarily familiar with you know public transit lingo is when you operate a transit system you can have, you know, a million routes and you can have this very impressive map and, and all of that. And that's great. But what it comes down to in terms of actually getting people to use it and for the system to be useful to people is that you actually have, you know, consistent, reliable, a train comes every five or ten minutes, a bus comes every five or ten minutes, and you can rely on it and you, you actually know that it's coming. Uh, I grew up in a rural area, and so I totally understand people's consternation around transit, which is that, like, oh, I could show up at a bus stop, and a bus might never come, Mm -hmm. right? And and that is the fear that everyone using transit anywhere has, is that, like, oh, I might be stuck waiting around for a train or bus that doesn't show up on time or doesn't show up. And so the most important thing uh, in literally any city is just that you have frequent train or bus service on whatever routes you have. And from there, you start to talk about, okay, like where should we put our routes and uh, what type of service? So like a rail service or a bus service or something in between, what type of service makes the most sense? But on the m- most basic level, just having a service that exists, whether it's a bus service or a rail service, whatever you can muster, and then just running it frequently and consistently and not ending it at you know 9 p.m. at night, because that's another thing. Uh, there's a lot of good analogies that can be made from driving uh, to public transit. You know, you don't close the highways and the roads at 9pm. And and in the same sense, you shouldn't stop running the buses and trains at 9pm. And you shouldn't start running them super infrequently, because it would be like saying you have to wait 20 minutes at the intersection to go through and get on the highway or something if you're driving in a car. And so I think that, that there's actually a lot of useful analogies to be made from car transport to public transport to just Kind of, kind of give people a sense of, of why it's important to run a service frequently, for example, or something along those lines. But I, I do think that that is the most fundamental thing, a frequent service that exists for as many people as possible.
0: And how how do you think about what, six, and this is, it's tough because we're speaking in generalities here, but like generally speaking, how, how do you think about what good is, right? So when you're looking at a given solution that's put in place a given type of of transit like is it working and uh, obvi- there's obviously like there's some kpis that are easy to measure whether that means they're actually the best kpis to to track is maybe a different question but like how how in your mind do you, do you tend to think about well this is good this is bad like how, here's how we define whether x is working
1: yeah so i think that that one of the most important metrics is just ridership. So how many people are using a system on a daily basis? And, you know, that metric alone gets you really far, because obviously, if no one's using the system, something's wrong. And if less people are using a system than they did the year or month before, well, then you clearly you're not trending in the right direction. And sometimes that's because of, you know, some externality, like, when COVID happened, of course, less people are going to be out and about. And so the ridership is going to go down. But this is a great way of saying, hey, like, we, we created a new subway line. And if ridership isn't going up, well, clearly something's wrong. Because if there's more capacity to move people, and more people aren't moving, that's, that's a bad sign. And so I think that's a great uh, kind of very clear, uh, quantitative measure. And then on the qualitative side, I think it's just uh, valuable, especially this is something you can do when traveling. You know, if you want to go from place to place, how easily can you do it on public transportation? How many times do you have to get off a train or bus and switch to another one? How fast is it? Are you constantly sitting around? Um, how easy is it to actually figure out how to get from one place to another? And so I think that's a the really important qualitative metric that sort of just explains convenience. Like, is it easy to do Uh, what you need to do to travel where you need to travel uh, using public transportation. And of course, uh, not every journey is going to be as easy. But clearly, the main journeys should be easy. So going from, say, a suburban area to the central business district where most people are living uh, to where most people are working, that should be uh, pretty easy. And if it's not, well, clearly something's breaking down there. And so I think that kind of just traveling around the city and seeing how easy it is to use the system and how many headaches you have to put up with is a great way to kind of get a sense for how well the system is working.
0: And do you have do you have any insights into, and this is along the lines of what we're talking about here, but like trying to do like a meaningful gap analysis in a in a given city, right? So like you you try to figure out, okay, what is the next step or the next thing that we should be, investing in you mentioned yeah train to bus somewhere in there having a reliable service that's convenient that's something that is is important what's what's kind of a good way to figure out okay do we have that and then also if not like what's the right because and i'm sure my, my vocabulary here is not very precise but like you mentioned a train to bus and somewhere like there's a ton of different flavors of what this thing could look like right of a of some type of a, a metro or something like that. So how, how do you figure out like where, where is the gap and then what's the right solution to actually put in place to close that gap? Yeah, so I think there's there's a ton of different potential metrics you can
1: use. Um, some are kind of about, you know, maintenance of an existing system and then some are about growth. So if you're talking about, you know, maintaining a system and you have a, a system today and you want to make sure that it's, it's operating really well, then you look at things like, Uh, where are buses delayed, for example. So if you've got 20 bus routes, you look at the places where buses are traveling the slowest, and that's where you say, okay, maybe we need to put bus lanes in. Maybe we need to do something more extreme and put in a a dedicated right-of-way just for buses so they can speed up in this area. So looking at places where the network is, is, is slow or where it's unreliable and then focusing efforts there is a great way to kind of improve the reliability and quality of the network in terms of actually building out a network and uh, figuring out where you need to make investment, I think it's, uh, this is a difficult question, right? And there's not a, uh, obviously, this is what makes, I think, public transportation so complex is that there are all these political and social factors that need to be considered. But they're, you know, from a basic standpoint, and I think often the best transport systems are sort of planned in a sort of mathematical and geometric way, which is that if you have a, a network of, let's say, just bus routes, you're a small city and you're growing, the best way to kind of invest is to say, hey, what's the busiest route? That's the first route we upgrade to something more. So we, we build a subway line on that route and we should keep running the buses, but with the acknowledgement that the buses are kind of providing a more local service, something that's more about stopping on every, you know, every street and kind of giving you this fine-grained access, well, that subway is providing a faster uh, mode of transport across a longer distance and combined you're adding more capacity because now you've got not just buses but you also have rail service and so you've you've provided more capacity on a corridor with high demand and you sort of just iterate on this so okay you've got one rail line you you wait five years you probably need to get your funding together, et cetera. And then you say, hey, what's the, what's the next busiest corridor or, or where is the congestion the worst? And that's where you invest in next. And just doing that, you tend to build out a pretty good network uh, based on the geometry of the city and where the demand for travel is, et cetera. Uh, and so I think that the cities that are most successful uh, transportation-wise are the ones that have just kind of followed a pretty rudimentary pattern there and had they've invested in the right places and they've just kind of iterated on that over time and built up layers and layers of transportation that makes travel more and more convenient as you give people more options.
0: Yeah, that's that's an interesting way of, of, of framing it, of this iterative decision-making. And I mean, that's generally a good good approach for most complex things with a lot of uncertainty. Uh, how I guess the, the two things that come to my mind is, one, how do you... How do you do this in a way that, because I mean, eventually you're going to hit a spot where potentially a significant capital expenditure is going to be required to go from one step to the next. And like you, how do you figure out when it's actually time for that? And then also, and this is kind of, as you mentioned, one of the complexities is the political and social piece, but like, how do you do this in a way that works with the constituents and that people are like, understand Hey, we put this bus here, but not just not because we think the the bus is kind of the long term solution, but because like this serves a purpose. It should help now, but at the same time, if this works and we see a need here, there's opportunities to continue to improve over time. So, like people don't get frustrated that they're not getting the I don't know, whatever fancy new toy that they think they deserve or think they need. Yeah, I mean, like you've kind of just put it perfectly there. It's it's just about, I think, com-
1: with the public, uh, it's just about sort of communicating to them that like this is this is why we make this decision, and yeah, if if it's successful, then we we kind of we work our way further along uh, this iterative process. And w- with regard to when you get up to these these big challenges where you need to make a big decision. Um, I think the best tool that really exists is just the cost-benefit analysis, right? And I think that's a really interesting uh, tool that exists, and it's obviously one that exists much more broadly than just transit or transportation problems, but it works really well for them. So you just say, hey, like, we want to build this new subway line. Um, Here's what we think it's going to cost. Um, What is the cost of all of the congestion that exists today? Um, What is the cost of you know, running way more buses than we would need to if we had this new subway line. What is the social cost of, for example, uh, more air pollution? Because when you build a subway line, you reduce that. And that actually has a real cost on things like people's health care and on society. And so you build out these costs. And when it it comes out that building the project is... uh, less expensive than the externalities, that's a really good time to build it. And there's no perfect science to this, because of course, uh, if you you wait, you often have to pay more because cities become more developed and it becomes more expensive to build projects. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, you don't always have the ability to predict all of the potential benefits of a project. So a great example I like to use is in New York City, where you know, they built the subway network out mostly in the early 20th century. So getting on 100 years ago now. And it's still the case that there are neighborhoods in New York, like say Williamsburg or something that have become super popular and fashionable in the last couple decades. And so they've had subway lines for, you know, almost 100 years. And they've mostly not been super busy. And then suddenly they become super busy. And it's like, well, no one could have predicted 100 years ago that these neighborhoods would have become super popular but because that infrastructure existed they're very ab- you know they're very able to become popular and so when you when you build this infrastructure you're opening up a lot of opportunity for the long term that for example you don't really get with roads because with roads the capacity like the scalability of them is just not nearly as large as with transit so transit has that huge scalability and at the same time because transit is a big investment it tends to be one that that lasts a lot longer Road roads last but you have to do major major rebuilds of them on a fairly regular basis whereas with you know subways for example you could you have subway lines in london and and New York and Paris that have been there for a hundred years and for the most part they're as they were a hundred years ago they've been upgraded and the like but these are infrastructure solutions that last for the long term, and so it, it is very hard to predict what might happen in the future. Right, so it's yeah. a complicated process, but but there are some tools that exist.
0: Can so thinking about something like specifically a, a subway, like I think of Detroit, where the the Detroit area where I live, and like the the idea of us now at this point installing a subway system seems kind of unfathomable and complexity and and cost and everything. And I'd be curious, have you, do you know of any examples of developed cities that have retroactively made some type of a significant change in their transit infrastructure that has worked out well?
1: Yeah. So I'm actually working on a video right now on, on, uh, on bangkok and i think it's actually really interesting to compare and i think it it, it's an important perspective for people to gain a lot of cities in southeast asia so um the the probably most famous is like singapore but singapore is maybe not a great example because they did develop a a rail system pretty early but Mm -hmm. cities like bangkok and jakarta and these these cities are massive now like bangkok has 15 million people it's actually super developed you know they have uh more high rises than probably most cities in north america They've got tons of major roadways, highways and, and congestion. And like a lot of cities in Southeast Asia, Bangkok did not really have a rail system. They built out on a very auto-centric model that was similar to the US and, uh, and parts of Canada. And I think a large part of that is just sort of when these cities developed, that was kind of in vogue. And so they, they developed based on, on a kind of a car-based model and now though bangkok is is building a huge metro system and at at the moment bangkok has like six or seven metro lines right like subway lines um and they're building a lot more and pretty soon uh bangkok is going to have a bigger rail system than any city in the us besides washington dc and you know thailand isn't a country that is definitely growing significantly economically but it's not a country that's rich in the way the united states is so I think it sort of lends perspective that if a city like Detroit really wanted to change and, and, you know, become more transit oriented, it's it's possible like like this has been done and the solutions are out there, Um, but they're probably not in the United States right now. And I think that's a big reason why so many projects have so many problems is it's a very insular industry transportation. Um, And so, yeah, that's what I would say. I think it's possible, but um, it requires looking internationally.
0: Yeah, thanks. That's 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 interesting. I, I I'm looking forward to to that video because I, I I don't know uh, other than what you said here much about Bangkok's uh, public transportation. So yeah, it's that is cu- interesting. I'd be curious to, I don't know, other maybe let's pick a couple other cities. Like, can can you highlight in your mind cities that? Um, around the world that like when you think of world class public transit uh, what 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 comes to mind um and it could be something that just people did things well from the start or these big innovations like you're you're talking about here but I'd just be curious kind of overall this question of when you think yeah world class what do you, what do you think of well i think
1: i think cities like paris stockholm london Berlin, in Europe, and then in, in Asia, probably like Tokyo, Hong Kong, Singapore is really good as well. Um, in in the Americas, I actually think Vancouver is a really good example to look at. I think in the US, Seattle is doing a lot of stuff uh, pretty well. Um, so, so all of these cities, and, and what I would point out is that none of them don't have roadways and highways or major networks of them. But what they do typically have that we don't have nearly enough of in North America, in my opinion, is they have tolls. So they actually force people to, to think about, you know, what is the value of using this road to you? Because roads are not inexpensive either. They cost a lot to build and maintain. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's a really interesting question. Like why don't we price them more often so that people actually have to think, you know, is this something that's providing me value? Or am I just kind of driving around for no, for, for reasons that don't make a ton of sense. And so I, I think that's an interesting question to ask, because obviously, people generally pay for public transportation. And that's, in a lot of ways, a good way of figuring out what the real quote, unquote, demand is, because when something is free, um, it, it kind of creates this really strange effect on demand, where it's it's far more than you kind of would proportionally expect if you just kept dropping the cost and going down. It kind of explodes when the price is free. Yeah,
0: and that's such an interesting kind of even framing, right? Because, I mean, private use vehicles are very far from free. (laughs) But we've we've compartmentalized those costs that, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a, a fixed cost base that we just accept kind of intuitively of, hey, here's a car payment or a lease or whatever. Here's insurance costs. Here's maintenance costs, fuels, fuel, all that type of stuff, which... For, for many people is a huge expense, but then mm-hmm. the marginal but that's compartmentalized in a certain area and then the marginal cost of h- using a roadway is essentially free as, as you mentioned. so like there's for whatever reason this psychological problem that yeah adding a, a cost of a toll, which makes a ton of sense and also in the big picture of what you're actually spending on the private use vehicle is is very small tends to get all this emotional backlash because of the way people have compartmentalized this stuff, yeah, and I think the interesting question about
1: it too is is that like all roads do not have equal value and they don't have equal cost to maintain. So like your, your suburban road that goes up to your house has very different value than a highway that kind of cuts across a city, um, right? Like the highway is high cost to maintain, the real estate is expensive and the value is hypothetically very large, especially for business, for example. And so like having a cost, like it really helps hopefully to prioritize the most important traffic because if you're willing to pay more like say for example an 18 wheeler carrying a bunch of um i don't know uh TVs or something like that's obviously very high value transportation versus if someone wants to go to like the mall or something and they could go a different way but they're driving straight through the middle of the city because there's no cost to it um it's it's interesting like you don't have a very functional market almost
0: and how how do you within this context one thing that comes to to mind is the, the challenge of accessibility then as well right of like this this idea that by putting some type of a, a, an additional cost on these resources which as you mentioned are, are valuable um that we somehow exclude individuals maybe that's a a challenge for them to pay whereas it's just yeah a, a minor inconvenience for individuals who who don't have as much of a concern paying that that marginal cost and yeah I, I, I mean like good
1: no no yeah I think that's that's obviously a critical uh, thing to to ask and and in that case I think we have tons of different potential solutions uh, and this applies for road pricing or for transit right so you can do things based on income like the government already has everyone's income so So it's not a huge stretch to think that you can have variable pricing based on income, or at Mm. least, for example, if people are, say, below the poverty line, or they're they're of a certain income level, they can have reduced prices, right? So that helps to balance things out and not make it so that, hey, it's a pay-to-play system where um, people who can afford to can just get around very easily, and people who can't have to take more... you know, circuitous routes and stuff, which is really terrible and bad for society, obviously, for a lot of reasons. Um, I think that one reason that this becomes less of an issue with public transportation is compared to roads, there's a lot less kind of variable cost with public transportation. So as more people use the system, it it doesn't tend to get that much more expensive because you're kind of already running the trains if you're running things right. And so one additional person on the train has very little cost, whereas with roads, there is a high variable cost because more people driving on the road wears the road out a lot faster. And so I think that's an interesting problem. And I think it's part of why public transportation systems can be more affordable because uh, the costs are kind of are kind of more upfront. And they're also Mm -hmm. just more efficient cost wise in terms of number of people you can transport, like in terms of space, et cetera. Uh, public transportation has that benefit. And so I think from a cost-effectiveness basis, it's a lot easier to charge everyone an affordable price for public transportation than for roads.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, that makes sense. Maybe diverging a little bit, I'd be curious. So you do these deep dives, as you mentioned, with Bangkok and and many others of like explaining how whether it's a metro system or... Just public transportation in general is working in these different areas. Can you talk through kind of what what that process looks like for you and how you actually get deep into this and understand how something works?
1: Yeah. So, the research around doing a video like that, it kind of starts with learning a bit about the city and kind of, you know, where most of the offices or industrial areas and places where people are working and where the major transportation hubs, so things like airports, major. Uh, rail stations, uh, bus terminals, things like that, um, starting with that, because I think it's important to consider, you can have this really impressive uh, map, but if it doesn't mm-hmm. actually go to the places where people are traveling, like, what is the what is the value? And so it starts with that, and it kind of moves through looking at the structure of the network, where, where do they run different transportation lines, and how do they design them? What kind of uh, technology do they use, and, and different Uh, Strategies because there's so much diversity. Like some cities uh, build subway systems that are almost entirely underground. And I brought up Bangkok, obviously. And it's interesting to look at a city like Bangkok or a lot of cities that have built uh, rail systems more recently. And a lot of it is actually above ground, sort of like in a place like Chicago. But technology has come so far that, you know, you don't have these big metal rattling things over your streets. Like uh, it's got a lot better. And so it's, it's a lot of these cross comparisons of, of history and looking at what, what do different cities do differently from one another? And what are the commonalities? And what are the differences? And ultimately, what can we learn? Like, what is special and unique about the way each city has approached the transportation problem? And because I think that uh, there are patterns, and there are things we can learn when we, when we look at other cities, and, and there are mistakes we can learn from too, which are which are obviously critical because a lot of money does get spent on projects that end up delayed or late. And mm-hmm. it's important to learn from those so that we can you know, get better over time. And I think that we don't we don't coordinate that nearly enough. And if you look at roads, for example, roads are pretty heavily standardized around the world. But in a lot of ways, public transportation is less standardized. And I think that that both has an opportunity, like we should standardize more around the world. But it's also just interesting, right? Because every city kind of has a bit of a different approach. And it's interesting to see how, how a subway looks in China versus in the US, versus in Germany, versus in France, right? Like they're all, they're similar, but they have these interesting differences. And you kind of want to know, why did they do things differently? And so mm-hmm. that, that's kind of the approach, I think.
0: And you you touched on yeah sometimes things go south and we should learn from that. Can you does anything come to mind like common pitfalls or t- trends or like mistakes that have come up a few a few times that uh, tends to doom a, a large transit project?
1: Yeah, I think it often comes comes down to things where you know you're biting off more than you can chew. You're you're trying to do something that's that's really risky. A, a thing that you see a lot in the U.S. with transportation projects, transit and otherwise, is there's a lot of tunneling. And tunnels are complicated. And so what you see in the rest of the world a lot more is there's a lot less tunnels used everywhere. Because, and this is just kind of interesting, tunnels are super risky just by their very nature. You really do not know what is underground until you start digging. Um, you, know, you don't know what the soil's like. You don't know if there's some some old like some historical thing that's been buried underground that you just you discover and now you have to deal with that uh, and so the fact that so many tunnels are, are always being used for things like whether it's a highway or a subway or anything else uh, makes it a lot more complicated and risky to build projects and so what you notice in a lot of cities around the world is that there's when new projects are built they sort of avoid using tunnels unless absolutely necessary uh, and try to use different uh, different uh, alignments and different methods of construction so that there's less risk and and less risk usually means less delays and and less going over budget
0: yeah that that's interesting i mean when when we talk transit and obviously subway but but i i tend to think in terms of of tunnels and getting underneath a city to remove like that, not consciously, but like subconsciously, that's the picture that shows up in my mind. Maybe that's just a really U.S. centric idea that of how I, I tend to think about these things.
1: Yeah, you're really moving. You're just you're allowing uh, you're allowing you're just kind of using an extra dimension to put transportation on a different layer. Uh, the thing that's that's so interesting is that like we choose to put transportation underground, but in a lot of ways, especially for like rail transit, putting it above ground makes a lot of sense. You know, it's not, uh, elevated highways, I think have a big impact because people kind of associate any sort of elevated structure is going to be like a highway, you know, really big, wide, loud, but rail is just so different from a highway that you see a lot of cities will, will do elevated rail now. Um, put it above the street, it's not loud, and it's quieter than a truck going by. And it, it doesn't take up as much space and also just means you can build stuff way faster. And so you see these cities in places like China and, and other places in Asia in particular, and they've just built out massive systems in, in only like a, a couple decades. And a lot of that is because they they've been doing it in a smarter way. And so I think we often we wonder why uh, projects in, in North America and the US in particular struggle but we're just working so much harder to get the same result. And so using different methods would be smart.
0: Yeah. So I think, I think two more things I wanted to get your thoughts on. So one, we talked about your process for investigating a specific Metro system and writing kind of one of the, you're coming up with one of these deep dive videos. I'd be curious from just an an overall educational perspective resource. So obviously someone who should, who wants to learn about this type of stuff, your YouTube channel is a tremendous resource, which I, I recommend Outs, outside of that. Can you think of anything, whether it's exactly in this space or even personally or, or elsewhere, like specific resources that have had a big impact on you? It could be a book or books. It could be something else. Anything come to mind there?
1: Yeah. So that's, that's always, that's like the key question, right? Where's the best, where's the best resource? And I, honestly, I think one of my favorite tools for learning about cities and transportation is just Google Maps, just going and looking at maps. And I mean, Google Maps, obviously, you can't see underground. So that that can be a struggle sometimes, but they do have their trans uh, transit layer. Mm -hmm. But just going and looking at at how things are in in different places. I think it's such an underappreciated tool for all kinds of things related to transportation, like you want to learn about how a logistics network works. or you want to learn about um, yeah, like how do they build uh, a piece of infrastructure? You can just look generally on Google Maps and say, "Hey, like this looks very similar to how they would do it in this country." And wow, there's there's more similarities than uh, than you might expect. And so, I think honestly, for me, just years and years of scrolling around Google Maps and Street View and looking at infrastructure and uh, and different cities that way—it's the most powerful resource I can imagine.
0: Have you have you found a Big game like the the places where you're actually able to visit in, in per person does that provide a lot of benefit for you or really because it's yeah so I should brand- say
1: I should say that that's the best way of course but but um but obviously a high cost uh, solution yeah. but visiting is yeah definitely the best way by far and i think that when you visit it's important to actually kind of get out and around and not just um you know not just not only just not going to tourism areas but also just kind of riding around a bit randomly and just going to different neighborhoods and seeing what they look like and observing. And and I think it's uh, so much energy goes into engineering our transportation systems and designing them, and yet people don't really pay much attention, right? It's a tool. It's kind of heads down. we got to get to work or we need to get to the the store or something, and people don't pay a lot of attention to it. Mm -hmm. But it can be great to just go around a city and just kind of stop and look around and see – how are things designed and what's working and what isn't working. And I think that that kind of passive observation, most people don't do it because they're not, they're not really interested in how it works. They just want to have it work and get, get to work. Um, But, uh, but yeah, just kind of observing the transportation system in the city is, is really powerful. And I don't think enough people do it in the transportation industry.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe the the last topic I'd be in, this is potentially a big topic. So take it wherever you want, but like, How do you think about the role of emerging technology? So I mentioned, I mean, you could look at different flavors of autonomous stuff, whether it's rubble taxis or electric last mile delivery and logistics or uh, autonomous last mile delivery and and stuff, logistics, um, electrification, shared mobility, shared use stuff, micromobility. There's a lot of different technologies that have come up in the last decade or so and have waxed and waned in popularity and effectiveness and stuff like how how do you think of the role of these types of technologies and you can speak generally or take a specific one um, within kind of a a greater transportation transportation ecosystem
1: yeah so that's such an interesting question and i think that I, I'm sort of of the belief that there are a few transformational transportation technologies that exist, and I don't think that we really have discovered another one. I think that things like, for example, electrification. Well, electrification is is ex- very important and honestly a critical thing because there are always going to be private vehicles and, uh, and, and even buses and delivery trucks, and, and all of this is always going to exist in our cities. And so electrifying these vehicles making them safer with you know advanced technology things like that that's critical and i think that it's only a good thing that that's happening same with micro mobility like i think this is almost a rephrasing of stuff that's already existed like cycling has always existed right but mm-hmm. micro mobility is sort of taking it and giving it more power you know e bikes and uh, electric scooters and, and just giving people more options is powerful i would say that broadly transportation is always going to be a geometric problem. And the biggest struggle we have is that cities typically where most transportation is happening are congested tight spaces. And so I think that the issue is always going to come down to you've limited space. How do you allocate your resources? And so, while I don't think that these technologies change the the fundamentals of, like, you know, you need a big public transportation system, what I do think they, they do is they enable things that might not otherwise be possible. So you can imagine things like autonomous vehicles. While I don't think it makes sense for everyone to be going to work in an autonomous vehicle, I do think that that can provide a solution to, say, getting to your neighborhood rail station or something, like... I don't think that it obviates the need for mass transit, but it me but it you know, gives us another option to kind of combine and make trips that wouldn't be possible or trips that would have been more difficult previously. It makes them easier. And so I think these these technologies are complementary rather than, than in contradiction with one another. And I think they they have a huge potential to help improve our transportation systems. But mm-hmm. especially in places that don't have big public transit systems, they're not gonna replace the need for them. Like I do see cities talking about, you know, we shouldn't invest in transit because uh, autonomous vehicles are around the corner. And while autonomous vehicles will probably be less uh, space inefficient uh, compared to current vehicles that, that you know, require to be, need to be parked a lot of the time and need to have these wide safety margins around them. Ultimately, cars are still space inefficient compared to transit, right? So it's, you, they're going to be part of the solution, but they're not going to replace the need for, more traditional transportation options is what I would say.
0: Dan, maybe a couple quick things. So, so, I mean, one, there's a lot of work to be done to intentionally show how these things are deployed, but there there certainly is a case that uh, more automated vehicles could make more congestion depending on how they are deployed. And if it's more single use people driving around, or if you make more trips, or if you have more kind of empty vehicles driving around waiting for, for people. So there's, there's certainly pitfalls that could, could come in the future. And also just generally this idea of multimodal transportation and thinking of this as a complex system, as opposed to one solution tends to be a really important topic. And I I think like, I mean, Amsterdam in particular, I think as an example, I think of like the biking infrastructure is great, but at the same time, it's Heavily empowered by the fact that there's a pretty good train system there as well, which allows you to take a bike to the train station and go to the next city and not need a personal use vehicle for there. Just like the the train system works because you can bike and you can park at the train station and actually to like these things when incorporate and that's just one example of there's a a lot of different flavors here, but like these things when incorporated intelligently and working together, there's a, a network effect that can be much more powerful than just thinking of any one technology in isolation. Absolutely. And I think that that's, yeah, it's just, it's such a perfect
1: example, like with kind of car centricity, you're trying to use the same tool to solve every single problem. And obviously cars are useful for very specific applications just the same way that bikes or trains are like they're useful for certain things. And trying to use the same tool for every problem is just wildly inefficient. And so I think that, yeah, it's about it's about optimizing the transportation system. And it's like, not like Amsterdam doesn't have cars, but they're people who are, for example, they they need to go to areas that aren't well served by public transportation, or they they need to make deliveries like it's it's about Kind of finding the niche for each transportation option and then trying to prioritize it within that niche.
0: yeah, I, I think that's that's a good place to leave it. Well, Reese, I, I really appreciate the the time here. I think I've learned learned a good amount and I uh, enjoy your perspective on on several of these things in the way in which you're approaching this. So yeah, thank thank you. I, r- I really appreciate you joining and uh, wish you the best of luck,
1: yeah, thanks for having me on, Brandon,
0: and uh, look forward to talking again at some point.
1: Thanks.
0: Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Reese Martin. So, what stands out? One, the importance of these topics, right? So, touch on it in this episode, touch on it pretty often, but one of my core beliefs that I've come to through the development of this podcast is it's not just the development of new technologies that is going to save us and create safer, more effective, more accessible. And more sustainable transportation. We need to effectively implement these technologies. How do you do that? It's not simple at all. It's very complicated in many situations, in part because every city, every situation is different. And that's where I've, I really enjoy. Reese seems to appreciate that. He does a great job cutting through the complexity and getting to foundational values of, yes, things are different in a lot of places, in a lot of ways. You need to customize things but at the same time here are the foundation foundational principles that are applicable across the board i really enjoyed that way that he breaks it down the way that he approaches it the educational piece he's uh yeah does a nice job especially on his videos kind of pushing the envelope a little bit and being being edgy but definitely a smart guy here who understands what's going into this stuff so as i mentioned at the beginning definitely if you're interested check out the youtube videos um fun fun stuff here also, if you like this episode, I have another recommendation for you. Check out the City Age podcast, hosted by Alan Markovich and Anna Stafford. If you're in the business of city building in the public or private sector, this show could be for you. So, what do they cover? So, whereas the Future Mobility podcast, I'm focused on transportation in various forms, including the city transit as a piece of that. They focus at the City Age podcast on the city with mobility as one piece of that, but they also get wider than that. So they interview public officials and business executives in engineering, transportation, real estate, finance, and more focused on how their guests are helping to build a more prosperous, green, and equitable future. So again, you like this episode, you like this podcast, the approach I take here with future mobility. I really think you'd enjoy it. I enjoy the City Age podcast. I think you will too. So check it out. I'll leave it there for now. Thanks again for listening to the episode with Reese Martin. Check out the City Age podcast. As always, more to come. Next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products and annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.